Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. If you have your Bibles now, if you'll take those, I want you to turn to the 22nd chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 22, I'm going to read in just a few moments, but let me talk to you just briefly about this series that we're in, began on Sunday morning. How many of you were here on Sunday morning and got to hear that message? I, I hope you were here. That was the first of a series. If you weren't here, it doesn't mean that you're not going to understand this one. I've tried to make each of these four messages a standalone message, but there is a theme. The title of the series is called Prequels to Calvary. Now, now, what is a prequel? I've done some study on this, and it's it can be used to mean a book, but more often it's used to mean a movie. So the, the Hollywood makes a movie. It does great. It makes a lot of money. They, they love it. it. It's really effective. So they can make a sequel. That is to say, like, uh, it, it, you know, it's what comes after it. But sometimes they realize what would be more interesting is to go back and tell you what happened before the one that you saw. An example of that, very famous example, the most famous and the most Academy Award winning prequel of all time is The Godfather Part Two. The Godfather Part Two is actually part one, but they made it second, so they call it part two. This is Hollywood. But that's a prequel. It's what comes before. Now, as we're heading toward Easter, and you'll, you'll know the story, and again, we'll celebrate it, and it'll be an important part of our lives. We know the story of the passion, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. But I'm, I'm dealing in this four-part series, starting on last Sunday, with prequels to Calvary, things that went before. In other words, they're almost kind of like movies that God gave us before he gave us the real movie of the cross. On last Sunday, we talked about the, the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus himself tells us that it was a prequel because he references it. He says, and the son of man must be lifted up just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So he says, that was a sign, a symbol, a prequel to the Son of Man, Jesus himself, being lifted up. Now tonight, we're going to look at another, and that is the ram on the mountain. The ram on the mountain. Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture because I want it all before us as we start. So we're, I'm not uh, just going to choose one little verse of Scripture and read the whole thing and just read one little part of it. I want to read the whole thing. And it came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And God said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, or in Hebrew, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now just pause for a moment. It says in the land of Moriah, one of the mountains, it never precisely says Mount Moriah, but we can assume that a specific mountain in the land of Moriah would be Mount Moriah, upon which later, which later became the mountain for the Temple Mount, where the temple was built. 
And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand, meaning in a some kind of a fire carrier, uh, a clay fire pot, and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called on him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, by the way, in Hebrew, whenever a name is repeated, Abraham, Abraham, it is for emphatic presence. It's, it's as if he's saying, it's saying, you there now. Abraham, Abraham. If I can find my place now that I've paused. <laughs> and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead or in place or as a substitute for his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, we say in English, Jehovah Jireh. It would be in Hebrew, Adonai Yireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Now put your hands on your Bible and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, we pray that you will take this simple little message. Open our hearts. Pry us open, O Lord. Deal with us in the innermost locked recesses of our heart that when we leave here tonight, we will say we will never be the same. Come, Holy Spirit, witness with your word and with the blood. In Jesus' name, the strong Son of God, amen. Most of the preaching that we hear and most of the preaching that I myself have done around the story of the aborted sacrifice of Isaac, the start of sacrificing Isaac. Most of the preaching around that deals with Abraham and not with, not with one of the, one of the non-human realities in the story. We want to deal with this animal, this ram caught by its horns in the thicket. But before we get there, 
Let's just make sure that we understand the story. Abraham is now quite old. His son, Isaac, who was promised to him supernaturally, brought to him miraculously, is now somewhere at least old enough to carry the wood. Some have suggested that this is, that he is now 30, which would make him correspond to the age of Jesus. But I think that's a stretch. We don't know that. But he's not a toddler. He's old enough to carry wood for the sacrifice, but still not so big that Abraham cannot lift him and put him on the altar. So I think he's probably 10 or 12, maybe as old as 15. And God speaks to Abraham, and God never makes it easy for us. God doesn't make it easy. He makes it real. He makes it powerful. He makes it effective. But he doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He says, Abraham, Abraham. In other words, pay attention to me. Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. Think, he's saying, I want this to be clear to you. I understand how important this is to you, how much you love Isaac, and that he's your only son. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and go into the mountain, into the land of Moriah, that I will show you, and there offer him for a burnt offering. Now, this is a very difficult passage to preach on because you're always afraid, one is always afraid in preaching on this passage, that some psychotic nutcase finds license in this story to do something horrible. I want to say to you straight out, God will never, ever, ever, ever call upon you to do anything to anybody else like this. This is an important story, but you need to understand God never, ever intended Abraham to do this. He's testing him. Now he says, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the mountain in the land of Moriah that I will show thee and offer him as a burnt offering. Now this shows us where Abraham is. It says Abraham arose up early the next morning. He didn't delay. He didn't argue. He said, I'm going to obey God. He took the wood, took his son, took two young men with him, and they traveled until God revealed this mountain to him and said, that mountain. We can assume from the text, it's not too much of a stretch to assume that it is Mount Moriah itself, which later became the mountain upon which the temple itself stood, the temple mound. If you go to Israel, you will stand at the base of the Western Wall and look east straight at Mount Moriah. You will see the mountain where the Temple Mount, and where presumably this sacrifice took, as we read the scripture, this near sacrifice took place. Now, we know that Abraham's faith is strong. I just want to point this out to you in passing. As I say, Abraham is not the center of this story. But he says to the young men who stay to keep the animals, the pack animals and and their possessions, he says, stay here. The lad and I will go yonder on that mountain to worship, and we will return. He doesn't say, I will return. We will return. In other words, we can believe that Abraham was so confident of God's goodness and of his resurrection power that even if he sacrificed Isaac, that God will raise him from the dead. The lad and I will return. Now, I want you to think about the painful 
excruciating moment as they start up that hillside. And Isaac says, I'm carrying the wood. I see the knife in your belt. There's the fire for the burnt offering. What are we going to do about a sacrificial animal? Abraham knows what God has told him. Can you, can you imagine the pain he's feeling? But listen to his answer. It's very, it's, it's a very complex answer in both English and Hebrew. Now listen to this. He says, God will provide himself a lamb, a sacrifice. Now, is he saying God will provide a sacrifice for himself? That's one way. Is he saying God himself will provide a sacrifice? That's another way. Or is he saying exactly as it reads in the King James Bible, God will supply himself a sacrifice? That's huge. Do you understand? If you read it that way, Abraham is pronouncing a prequel to the cross thousands of years before anybody understood that Messiah is going to be crucified in this same general area. God will supply himself a sacrifice. Either way you read it. If God, if God himself will supply the sacrifice, he's saying this is going to be supernatural. If he's saying God will supply a sacrifice for himself, then he's saying, I don't have to have a sacrifice for God. God will supply one. But if he's saying it this third way, God will supply himself a sacrifice. Any way you read it, that's a statement of magnificent personal faith. And they, they go up to the mountain. He binds Isaac, ties him up lays him on the wood and raises his knife to kill him. And it says the angel of the Lord, it's translated angel, but it, it means the messenger of heaven, the voice of heaven, the, the, the transmission from heaven speaks. The word comes to Abraham. I don't believe I'm doing any violence to the text at all if I say to you that that messenger, the word messenger is just translated as angel. The messenger, the word, the transmission. Where does that show up ever again? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The transmission of heaven became a human being and lived among us, tabernacled with us. In other words... I am 100% convinced that the voice that came out of heaven is the voice of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he cries out, Jesus cries out, Abraham, Abraham. In Hebrew, the repetition of a name is hugely important. It's like if you yell at somebody, hey, you, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham says, I'm right here. He says, don't do anything to that boy. Now I know you love me. Now I know you would not withhold anything from me, but that is not my will. I'm not asking you to give me a blood sacrifice of a human being. I've never, I'm not the God Molech. I don't want human sacrifice. Stop right there. And then it says, now this is a very important passage. It says at that moment, 
Abraham looks behind him and there's a ram caught by its horns in a thicket, in a bramble, if you will, caught, snared by this thorny bush. He's caught there. Now, in rabbinical writing, in, in the writings of the, of the rabbis, there's a great deal of discussion about this ram. And I, I just thought you might be interested to hear some of this. One of the things they debate about is, where did the ram come from? Why? Because they said, whose ram is it? Because if Abraham took somebody else's ram, he's stealing. And they said, you can't, the rabbi said, you can't offer God a stolen sacrifice. So they said, whose ram is this? Some rabbis answered and said, this ram was part of the earliest creation and that he was a ram descended from the first ram that was made and therefore he was in the wilderness. He wasn't a wild animal, but he wasn't owned by anybody because he was descended from the first ram. Other rabbis said, if the ram was there, when Abraham got there, why didn't he see it? So some rabbis said it was a supernatural ram. In other words, that the ram wasn't there, that Abraham could have seen it if he had walked up there, but when he turned around, there suddenly is a ram. All this rabbinical debate has been going on for thousands of years over where the ram come from. So what I want us to do tonight is to zero in, not on the faith of Abraham. It's a wonderful thing, and you need to know it and study it and learn it and ask God for the faith of Abraham. Not on the submission of Isaac, which is a perfectly good part of the story. But I want us to talk about the ram, because the ram is the prequel to the cross. What is Abraham's part in this story? What is, what is the, the issue here? Abraham has to see these things. He sees the, the judgment that is on Isaac. A sovereign decree has said, this boy has to die. The decree of God, the sovereign decree. So Abraham has to see that, and he does see it. Second, he has to say that he must, he must see this as a requirement. This is very important. There's no way around it. There's nothing he can do. He can't do a deal with God. There's nothing he can do. The third thing he must see is he must see an acceptable substitute. But what would it be? What will he offer God? What could be more precious to Abraham than his first son? Listen to how God says it. Thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. What could be an acceptable sacrifice for that? Is he going to offer him a turtle dove? What, what would be acceptable as a substitute sacrifice for the life of Isaac? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 is a revelation of God's activity in this story. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. In other words, we do not see ourselves in Abraham and in his faith. 
we see ourselves in Isaac under the judgment of death, bound, tied, and ready to die, and we deserve to die because God has pronounced the judgment. The judgment is upon us. We've sinned. We've sinned. We know we've sinned, or at least we're supposed to know we've sinned. I went to visit an elderly lady in the nursing home years ago. I, it was a, what do you call it, semi-private room. She was on the inside toward the window, and I met with her, talked with her and everything like that. As I started out of the room, the other lady, another older lady in the room, she said, are you a minister? I said, yes. Would you like me to have a prayer with you? She said, that'd be fine. I just came over and sat down with her. How are you doing? Great, great, and talked. And I don't know why I said it. I just said, isn't it wonderful to know that our sins are forgiven? She said, stop right there. I said, what do you mean? She said, I want you to know I've never done anything for which I need to ask God to forgive me. (laughs) Until we can come to that, until we can come to say, I have sinned. I've sinned. I deserve the judgment. I am like Isaac, bound on the altar, ready to die, deserve to die, and under the sovereign command of death. But there's nothing anybody else can do. I can't untie myself. I can't get off of the altar. I can't do a deal. I can't negotiate. And who can do it for me? Who would love Isaac more than Abraham? But there's nothing Abraham can do. I've got a word for you. Those of you, there are guys here in this room, I suspect, who somewhere deep inside in the recesses of your heart, you believe that your wife's religion, somehow or another, you're going to ride her coattails in. Say, Lord, I know I've not really been a Christian all my life. My wife loves you lots, and she loves me. I just need to tell you, nobody loved Isaac any more than Abraham, thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. But there was no way that Abraham could rescue him. No way that Abraham could do a deal. No substitute that Abraham could find. In other words, this had to be God's work. God will supply himself a sacrifice. So when Abraham is there, let's go back to the rabbinical question. Where did the ram come from? Here is what I believe is clear from the story. The ram was there the whole time. Caught by its horns in this bramble bush. Exhausted, tired, bound, unable to get free. These two human beings walk up on the mountain. The one is weeping. He's absorbed. He's caught. He's concentrating on his son. He's not thinking of anything. He's not looking around. He's not worried about wildlife on the top of the mountain. He's struggling with this issue. Will my son live? Will he die? Will God raise him? Do I have to kill him? He clutches the knife. Abraham, Abraham, don't hurt the boy. Don't hurt the boy. Now suddenly his focus is not on the boy. He's now able to open his eyes and see the answer of God. His answer couldn't work. Now he's able to see the supernatural answer of God. And God opens his eyes and he sees the ram. And his prophetic statement on the way up the mountain suddenly becomes true. God will supply himself a sacrifice. Now, look at this then. Some will tell you that Isaac is a figure of Jesus. But that's not true. Isaac is not Jesus. He's us. 
He's us. We are the ones bound. We are the ones under the judgment of death. Isaac is us. Who is Jesus in this story? Jesus is the ram. He is the sacrifice of God. Abraham takes his son off of the altar, unbinds him, and sacrifices the ram. Jesus is the substitute sacrifice. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. In other words, the cross is not some, the, the, the cross is not something God thought up to cover a dark moment. There has been a cross at the heart of God since before the creation. We are created for God's redemptive purpose at the heart of God. At the very heart of God is this sacrificial substitute. He made us. He knew that we had free moral agency. He knew that we would sin. He knew that our rebellion would bring us under bondage to sin and death. And he knew that there was nothing we could pay to buy ourselves off of the altar. There was nothing we could do. And so he said, I will supply myself a sacrifice. I will do it. And the sacrifice, the sacrificial ram is Jesus. I want you to see this. Caught by his horns in a thorn bush. Struggling, trapped, fatigued. We see him struggle up the streets, agonizing, exhausted, bleeding from his contest and the crown of thorns pressed into his forehead, trapped, struggling, the God-supplied sacrifice. And this movie that's being played in the streets of Jerusalem on the day of Jesus' crucifixion the movie had already been shown. It's already been seen. It's at the very heart of Hebraic faith and culture. It's at our very understanding of who Messiah is, that he would come as the ram caught by its horns in the thorn bush who became the substitute for every single one of us. Why, why did there have to be a sacrifice at all? Hebrews 9 and 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Mount Moriah became evidently the mountain upon which the temple stood. This ram, this sacrifice becomes the first of animal after animal, sacrifice after sacrifice, the rivers of blood that were poured out on the temple mound. But they were temporary. They were theological. They were symbolic. But they couldn't really cleanse. The book of Hebrews says, would that sprinkling of ashes from a bull or a heifer, would that cleanse us? If that would have cleansed us, it would have worked thousands of years ago. But the book of Hebrews says, we need one full, perfect, sufficient sacrifice. We need one sacrifice to end all sacrifices. But where would that come from? Who can supply that? Who will ascend into the hill of the Lord and attain for us our, the blessing of our posterity? Who will do that? The psalmist says, oh, he that has clean hands and a pure heart. Oh, great. Clean hands and a pure heart. I know who will sin. Billy Graham. He's sinless. No, not even Billy Graham. Not even Billy Graham 
is a sufficiently whole sacrifice to be offered for my sins. Billy Graham had to deal with his own sins. Who shall we send? Who will go for us? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has never lifted up his soul unto vanity. Who is that? There's only one. There's only one with clean hands. There's only one with a pure heart. There's only one that's never lifted up his soul to vanity. Even this same Jesus, our Messiah. It is he revealed to us and prefigured in this ram caught by its horns on the mountainside. He becomes our blood sacrifice. Now, this speaks to the last question of the rabbinical argument over the ram. Is it a supernatural ram? And the answer is 100% no. Jesus is not a concept. He's not a theological construct. He's not an angel. He is a flesh and blood human being. A flesh and blood human being. His birth was natural. His conception was a miracle, but his birth was natural. His life was natural. His body was natural. When he cut his hand in the carpenter shop of his dad, he bled blood just like everybody else. When he hammered his thumb, he hurt just like everybody else. Jesus was a real flesh and blood human being. And he had to die. He had to die a blood death. If Jesus had lived to be 98 and died in a nursing home in Jerusalem, we're all going to hell. He had to die a blood death. He had to be a real human being, and he had to die a blood death, just like this ram. This was a real ram on a real mountain, caught by its horns in real bramble bushes. But he was a figure. This ram couldn't really cleanse anybody's sins, but he became the substitute for Isaac. Isaac lived. What about this ram? We, like Isaac, are raised up as Isaac was raised up. We are released as Isaac was released. Him whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Isaac got off of the altar and became Abraham's heir. We are the heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Isaac got off of the altar and became the inheritor of all that Abraham had or ever would have. We become a nation of priests. And we inherit everything that God has for us. Now, this last question. Was Mount Moriah the same place where Jesus was crucified? And the answer is 100% no. Jesus was not crucified on the Temple Mount. He was crucified outside the city, on Calvary, in the same general area, but not on Mount Moriah. In other words, this is a prequel, but not the movie. On a different hill, on a different day, a different father would lead his son up onto a different mountain, and no one would cry out from heaven, stop, stop. No one would object. No one would plead. Nothing would stop it. He was under no judgment. He had committed no sin. He was caught by his, by his life in the brambles of sinful humanity. And there was no suitable substitute found for him because he was the substitute for every single one of us. 
In other words, if I can put it this way in closing, stay with me. We cannot take any joy in our salvation. We cannot, it cannot really mean anything to us until we see ourselves bound, doomed, condemned, judged, and the knife of eternal death raised over our throats. Until we see ourselves as Isaac. Why would we rejoice in our deliverance? That at the last moment, at the last moment, not humanity, but God himself. God cannot allow sin to come into heaven because heaven then becomes hell. But how, how can he deal with our sin? How can he deal with mine? What can he do with just my sins, my wicked thoughts, my evil motives? Just mine. To deal with just that would bankrupt heaven. How can he deal with, how can he deal with that? No, sir. I'm condemned. I'm condemned by sovereign decree. I deserve to die. But God says, I love you so much. I don't want you to die. He said, but God, I, I, I don't have a substitute. What would I pay you? What would I give you? What could I sacrifice? He says, nothing. I will supply myself a sacrifice. Not only will I supply a sacrifice for myself, I will supply myself a sacrifice. The late R.W. Schaumbach told the story of being stopped by the cops in a small town in Pennsylvania. Said he was going so fast that they actually took him to court. The judge said, tell me who you are, little local judge. He said, I'm R.W. Schambach. He said, I, I know you. So I've seen you on TV. I've heard you on the radio. I know who you are. He said, you think I'm going to let you off because you're a famous preacher? He said, I'm not going to let you off. He said, your fine is $360. And he said, because you were going the speed you were going, I'm doing a double it. It's $720. R.W. Schambach said, he was going to object. Your honor, what, $720? And the judge said, don't even open your mouth. Pounded the gavel. He said, that's the end of it. He said he was standing there fuming. And the judge said, I've taught you something about judgment today, haven't I? Schambach said, well, yes, you have. The judge got off of the bench, took off his robe, came around to the other side, and he said, now I'm going to teach you about grace and he peeled off the $720 and paid it himself. When we see ourselves condemned, bound, hopeless, helpless, Lord, I, I don't have anything to offer you. And the voice from heaven says, you deserve to die. Yes, Lord. I deserve to die. He says, that teaches you judgment. Now, he says, I'll pay for it myself. I'll pay for it myself. And the ram caught by its horns on the mountain is a prefigurement of another son who went up another hill and no one objected. And his bleeding, dying form 
became the substitute for my sins. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.